Good evening, everyone. Um, members, guests, it's an honour and a pleasure to welcome Svetlana Tuzinieska to the Cambridge Union. We are very fortunate she has taken the time out of her busy schedule meeting senior figures in Parliament today to talk to us. Svetlana, I'm sure, needs no introduction. She's the head of the United Transitional Cabinet and leads the Belarusian Democratic Movement. A global symbol of peaceful struggle for democracy and female leadership, she's received numerous, numerous accolades, including being nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. For these efforts, she's recently been sentenced to 15 years in prison by a Belarusian court. Her tireless work to bring about change in Belarus reflects the values of free speech, democracy and progress upon which the society was founded and continues to uphold. On behalf of the society, the members and the trustees, it is a great pleasure that I present to her the honorary membership of this union and welcome her to deliver our inaugural International Women's Day address. So, Svetlana, thank you very much. Floor is absolutely yours. So, uh, good evening, everyone, dear students, dear friends. You know, it's a, a big honor to be here at the Cambridge Union today. I'm aware that uh, your past speakers include British Prime Minister Winston Churchill and Margaret Thatcher. U.S. Presidents uh, Theodore Roosevelt and Ronald Reagan, and the spiritual leader of Tibet, the Dalai Lama. All are titans of the political landscape whose names echo through ages, which makes me even more nervous. And uh, as you know, I'm still very new in politics and speaking in front of a big crowd is a real nightmare for me. And I'm still, you know, how do you say this, learning, learning the ropes. And uh, as you may know, I'm only here because uh, of what happened to my husband. Almost three years ago, Sergei, my husband, was standing for election when the tyrant Lukashenko ordered the secret police to lock him up, along with every other potential political opponent. But they forgot about me. <laughs> but uh, that often seems to happen with women. Unfortunately for Lukashenko, after I stepped up to replace Sergei, the people of Belarus voted overwhelmingly for me to be president. This terrified Lukashenko, who then stole the election. It kick-started a revolution in Belarus that continues to these days. The regime unleashed the massive terror against Belarusians. 60,000 passed through the prisons. Many got beaten, tortured, some were killed. Feeling impunity, Lukashenko became the threat to the entire region. He hijacked the Ryanair flight, he orchestrated the migration crisis, and then became Putin's complicit in the war against Ukraine. The West imposed sanctions on the regime. Russia deployed its troops on Belarusian territory. 
and Belarus appeared to be under threat of losing independence. The repression intensified and Belarus began to resemble Northern Korea more and more. But of course, many of you know the situation in Eastern Europe very well. You are experts and professionals in this field. So I didn't come here to teach you. I'm sure you get enough of that here at Cambridge University already. No, actually I came here to listen and learn from you. Normally, you ask your guests questions about their work and opinions. However, however, it often happens in life that those who are supposed to know the answers sometimes just don't have them. And in politics, it's not only the case with rhetorical questions, like how is it possible that one country inv invades another and claims it was attacked itself? Or how can crimes against humanity be justified by any ideology? So these are rhetoric questions. Sometimes there are also very practical questions, and this I would like to pose to you today. These questions are dilemmas that I face every day. I hope that my questions will help you to understand the political situation in Belarus and the role of Belarusian political institutions in it. So let's start. The first question is, thank you. <laughs> Should the West lift sanctions against Lukashenko's regime in exchange for political prisoners? So the West imposed sanctions in response on human rights violations and war crimes of the regime. The sanctions deprive the regime of resources, destroy corruption schemes and split the elites. Imposing sanctions, the West sends the strong signal to the regime. There will be no impunity, and such behavior will not be tolerated. More than that, sanctions deprive the regime of money that fuel the repressions and the war machine. We already see how Russia is using Belarus to bypass sanctions, and there are multiple loopholes that allow the regime to continue trade as it was before. However, some may argue that ordinary people suffer from sanctions, not the regime cronies. It is true that economic situation in Belarus is worsening, but it's worsening because of sanctions or bad management. It's hard to say. Others will say that sanctions put, uh, push the regime into the hands of Russia. The regime is cornered and it has to ask Putin for help. If not for sanctions, they say the regime would be more open for dialogue. There is another proposal I often hear. Let's exchange political prisoners for lifting sanctions. It sounds good in theory. This could save thousands of people. The problem with this approach is what uh, will stop the regime from taking new hostages and continue to blackmail West? Uh, it reminds negotiation with terrorists. If you pay a terrorist once, you end up paying him forever. And there is also moral aspect of such exchange. If we agree for such exchange, wouldn't we betray uh, the goals for what these people were fighting for? Doesn't it mean that they are suffering 
for nothing. The second dilemma can be put in these words, human lives or human rights. In 2020, Belarus was on the top of the world's agenda. Hundreds of thousands of Belarusians showed unity and bravery. Hundreds of thousands were marching on the Belarusian streets. The protest was toppled by the regime violence. Belarusians faced a humanitarian catastrophe. When the war in Ukraine started, the Belarus humanitarian crisis was overshadowed, of course. I heard from Western politicians that it's not the right time for Belarus while people in Ukraine are dying. On the one hand, the scale of the catastrophe in Ukraine is incomparable to what Belarusians are going through. On the other hand, these two crises are interconnected. Lukashenko is using the war as a cover to suppress all dissent. But if you close our eyes on Lukashenko's crimes against Belarusians today, doesn't it mean that we agree to compromise our values in future as well? Third dilemma is connected to previous one. Should we treat Lukashenko the same as Putin? Lukashenko is already taking part in this war, in the war on Russia's side since the very first day. He hoped that it would be like a blitzkrieg and that he would be marching in Kiev street uh, alongside Putin. It didn't happen. Ukrainians demonstrated unbelievable, unbelievable bravery and resilience. The Russian plans for a quick war have failed. Lukashenko continued to support Putin with military infrastructure, weapons, and allowed them to use our territory. Belarus became a launching pad for Russian missiles. The only thing that didn't happen, Belarusian troops didn't enter Ukraine. So some believe that Lukashenko is not a complicit in this war, but a victim, that Putin puts pressure on him and he resists. I also heard from Western politicians that we shouldn't sanction Lukashenko because it might force him to enter the war in Ukraine. And we see already that uh, for more than one year, the European Union is hesitant to sanction Lukashenko exactly because of this reason. Remember all the questions, just because you will have to answer them. <laughs> Fourth dilemma how Ukrainians should perceive Belarusians as aggressors or brothers in arms. Belarusians didn't elect Lukashenko. He usurped power back in 2024 and no free elections have taken place since then. However, many Ukrainians didn't follow political situation in Belarus and didn't distinguish Lukashenko from people. When the war started, Ukrainians immediately blamed Belarusians as enemies, as barbarians and murderers. But some would say, it's your country and you're responsible for what your leadership is doing. The missiles are being launched from your territory and you are also guilty for that. So who is responsible? Lukashenko who allowed Russian troops on Belarus territory 
or Belarusians who didn't stop Lukashenko from doing that. You know, Belarusians continue to demonstrate that they support Ukrainians so much as they can. When war has started, Belarusians carried out more than 80 acts of sabotage on the railroads, blocking a part of Russian troops from attacking Kiev. More than 30,000 people take part in the Belaruski Hayun monitoring project. There is a chatbot in the Telegram app where people keep posting photos of Russian army convoys to track their movements. The most recent act of sabotage um, damaged a Russian war plane A-50, valued at a half a billion dollars uh, that was uh, uh, coordinating Russian missile attacks on Ukraine. Of course, there are those who support Russian's war and Lukashenko's regime. They are a minority, but should we all take responsibility for their actions? Fifth dilemma. Is violence the only means of political change? In 2020, we chose a non-violent way of resistance, and we sticked uh, with that. We organized workers' strikes, pickets, we called for national dialogue and reconciliation. We believed that only non-violent and peaceful changes can bring sustainable peace and democracy. People with bad arms were not able to counter armed people in balaclavas who were shooting and harming uh, everyone, including women and children. And I'm sometimes uh, accused that it was my mistake to call for non-violent protest, that if we if I call people to take arms, uh, then the situation might have developed differently and Lukashenko wouldn't stay in power. But would Belarus have same support and solidarity from the West if Belarusians took up arms back then? Wouldn't it unleash even more violence and lead to more victims? Would it not lead to Russia's troops uh, entering Belarus and the chance for peaceful changes will be lost forever. I don't know. Also, I have mentioned dictators, but what about Lukashenko's servants and officials? The Belarusian state apparatus is huge. There are many criminals among uh, state representatives who are going to be legally prosecuted as soon as the rule of law and democracy is established in Belarus. They can, there can be no doubt about this. Uh, so, my sixth dilemma is about people who stand with Lukashenko now. Should the government officials be excluded from the process of democratic transformation of Belarus? Should there be an amnesty? And even if ther theoretically it should be, what messages uh, does it send to them now when we are talking about the future amnesties? Aren't they even more willing to unite around Lukashenko, fearing a kind of retaliation from the people? If we guarantee them a kind of immunity, wouldn't they be more willing to cooperate with the new democratic government or even to undermine Lukashenko's power today by not carrying out his illegal orders? Sorry, my last dilemma about diplomacy. Should the European countries keep their ambassadors in Minsk? In eye of Belarusians, ambassadors 
handling their credentials to Lukashenko would mean recognizing him as legitimate president, which he is definitely not. But at the same time, by staying in the country, the ambassadors can play some role, like issuing visas, visiting political prisoners, collecting information about the situation on the ground. But from practice, we see that their actions are very limited and the regime is using them to legitimize itself, to legitimize itself. We see that many of these tasks might be performed by Shadjes, uh, for example. But some would say that if no foreign ambassadors are in the country, we just undermine the country's independence. So if all ambassadors left, it would just mean that Belarus completely lost its sovereignty. So what is more important here? To delegitimize the regime or to keep some presence for some limited but still important activities? Look, I just listed a couple of uh, questions, but every day we face dozens of such dilemmas. We are living through difficult times which put us before very difficult choices. And I would be grateful for not only for your questions, but also for your opinions, for your thoughts and for your advice. I believe that the most important thing in answering these questions is to stay true to oneself, to one's values and principles. I'm sure that a principled moral position is what, is what pays off in the long-term run, surprisingly, even in politics. Thank you. Thank you very much for that fascinating address. Um, just so everyone knows, I'm going to do a few questions here, then I'll make sure there's plenty of time for you all to ask your questions. Um, so off the bat, you've been in the UK um, visiting various senior figures in the UK Parliament, throughout the political parties. What has been your message to them and how can Britain help people in Belarus? So as I uh, met with politicians, my uh, messages, you know, are most fully political. So we, uh, first of all, uh, usually when I meet politicians, I update information about uh, the country about what's going on on the ground because, you know, uh, attention span is rather uh, limited uh, in media and among politicians and it's very important to inform them what's going on. Uh, so then uh, I uh, explain the importance of, uh, of political consistency towards Belarus. Lukashenko wasn't recognized as a legitimate uh, leader of Belarus. So uh, your next actions uh, should be like uh, proceeding of uh, this declaration. And uh, we ask uh, our partners to uh, stick to two-sided approach uh, towards uh, Belarus. On the one side, create multiple points of pressure on the regime. Isolate regime politically, isolate regime economically through sanction policy. So uh, UK should um, um, synchronize 
its sanctions with European Union sanctions, with American sanctions, not to leave loopholes for, for Lukashenko to circumvent. On the other hand, uh, we need uh, uh, our civil society to survive, you know, to uh, work constantly on, uh, uh, on fighting with this regime. That's why international assistance is very important. So we are asking uh, UK to uh, create more possibilities for, um, uh, for civil society of Belarus who are in exile and who are in the country, you know, to continue our fight. Now, uh, this assistance is uh, maybe enough to sustain, but it's not enough to win. Uh, then, of course, you know, we, uh, I see that uh, Belarus is not always um, percepted correctly uh, regarding the war in Ukraine. Uh, I ask uh, uh, the governments to distinguish Belarusian regime and Belarusian people. That regime became collaborant to the war, Belarusian people are resistant to this. So, in wherever you mention Belarus, don't say sanctions on Belarus, sanctions on the regime assistance to people, you know, to, to, to create this uh, uh, correct perception of, of ordinary people. Uh, also, uh, I talk a lot about accountability, because now, uh, you know, Lukashenko uh, is hiding his crimes against humanity behind war in Ukraine, and he doesn't feel the response of the democratic world, that you are guilty, you will not avoid impunity, you are a sponsor of terrorism, we will create tribunal against you. And like he he's, feels that he is not like fully guilty, he is half guilty, and he can easily um, you know, use uh, this silence of the democratic world as their weakness and, commit the, uh, and continue to commit its crimes. So, um, uh, yeah, maybe these are like main messages about wardens, uh, about uh, pressure on the regime support to people. Um, yeah, it's like many, many, many details about this, but these are like uh, main messages. And then you mentioned the war in Ukraine there. How connected do you see victory in Ukraine to victory in Belarus? You know, for sure, the fates of uh, Belarus and uh, Ukraine are intertwined. Of course, we have different contexts, uh, but we are facing the same enemy, imperialistic ambitions of Russia. You know, Russia doesn't see no Ukraine, no Belarus as independent state where people can choose uh, their future. Uh, maybe the uh, only difference uh, between... Um, uh, Belarus and Ukraine, you know, uh, not taking into consideration that uh, there is a war in Ukraine, that uh, in Belarus, uh, dictator became collaborant uh, to Putin and uh, in Ukraine, people and government, you know, are, uh, are united. So uh, our uh, fight like is uh, like double fight. We are fighting for against the regime and for independence of our country. But of course, uh, we understand that the victory of Ukraine will uh, weaken Putin and it will weaken Lukashenko because uh, Putin now is the main ally to Putin is the main ally to Lukashenko. But also, uh, we uh, can expect that changes in Belarus could uh, come 
even earlier than changes than victory of Ukraine, and it will be uh, uh, changes in our country will be the strongest help to Ukrainians and the strongest sanctions against Putin. So that's why I uh, ask uh, our political partners not to overlook Belarus, not leave Belarus for one day later after the victory of Ukraine. Belarus is part of our regional crisis, and this crisis should be solved in complex. I really don't want uh, to, uh, after the victory of Ukraine, to understand that Belarus is left as consolation prize for uh, Putin. I uh, explained to the democratic world that until Lukashenko is in, is in Belarus, there will be constant threat to our neighbors, to Ukrainians, to uh, our to Western countries, and uh, there will be no security in the region. So that's why uh, uh, don't like uh, separate uh, problems of uh, Belarus and Ukraine. We, as I said, we are facing the same enemy, and we have to defeat this enemy together. It's a difficult question. Uh, and uh, every country has to decide for itself. But for sure, uh, there cannot be uh, connections with, of Belarusians with this Russia. Because now Russia is war, Russia is poverty, Russia is uh, uh, like criminals, war crimes, and so on and so forth. So until they have these imperialistic ambitions towards I don't know, post-Soviet Union countries, this fight will never end. So, uh, you know, honestly speaking, you know, in 2020, uh, when uh, a Belarusian uprising took place, there was no geopolitics at all in our uprising. It was our internal issue. And we uh, actually, we sent messages to Kremlin back in 2020 that don't interfere. It's our like uh, internal issue. At that moment, we didn't know maybe about Putin's plans, you know, to use Belarus's launching pad for uh, attacking Ukraine. And uh, you know, we, we saw how Putin supported Lukashenko politically and uh, economically, and it was like interfering into into our uh, local issue. But and you know. For 28, seven years, Lukashenko always explained to Belarusians that Russia is our big brother, our ally, and nobody is waiting for you in in Europe. You know, nobody needs you. And like Belarusian people uh, were rather like maybe they didn't think about uh, another choice. We always felt as Europeans. Uh, we always, Belarusians really value this democratic, um, uh, uh, cherished, I don't know, democratic values, but we didn't have opportunity, you know, to promote them in Belarus. But when the war uh, has started, even those Belarusians who were hesitating, you know, they saw that we are not Russians. We don't have this... Uh, anti-Ukrainian ambitions. You know, we are absolutely peaceful people. We are not supporting even the idea uh, of the war, especially against our brothers, Ukrainians. So more and more people now are uh, opposing this idea of, of communicating with Russia, of some unity with Russia. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they tend fully to, to uh, Europe. So now it's really geopolitical choice for uh, Belarusian people, and uh, I, I think this, this choice is uh, evident. And whilst you're on that choice, you said at the Minsk um, security conference that under your leadership, Belarus would seek to join the Council of Europe and develop a long-term strategy of cooperation with the EU. 
Would such a strategy include seeking to join the EU for Belarus? Uh, of course, now I uh, hear more and more voices of the Russian people that we have uh, to join the European Union. But uh, honestly speaking, I understand that, of course, we want this. I may be unconsciously, consciously, but I understand that so much has to be done before to becoming a candidate, candidate for uh, European Union. We have to hold a number of uh, reforms in Belarus. Uh, we have to hold uh, free and fair elections, uh, choose parliament, you know, to restore rule of law in our country. So it will take time. Uh, but of course, now uh, Belarusian people uh, understand that peace and prosperity is in Europe, poverty and war in Russia, so they fully, like, tend they face, you know, to to European Union, but it's about belonging to to the family of European Union countries. So, of course, we are talking about European Union, uh, but maybe it's too early to be loud about this because so many so we have long uh, path ahead of us. And in a sort of similar vein. And you've spoken tonight and before about the need to secure Belarus's independence from Russia, and I said turn away from it. And particularly with things like the war in Ukraine, the threat that Russia does pose with its imperialist ambitions. So would you, as sort of Finland and Sweden has done, start looking towards NATO, or would, it, would an alternative path would you pursue to secure Belarus? Uh. So uh, this is question. This question should be asked to Belarusian people. We have to stop this practice in our country when one person decides. You know. So of course I can uh, express my personal opinion, but now uh, when I'm representing Belarusian people, I should represent their opinion. And I don't know people's opinion about this because we really can't uh, ask people about this because we have repressions. We don't, we don't have opportunity to conduct any polls at the moment. So after, uh, you know, par uh, honest parliament will be installed, free elections, people will understand that for their voice, uh, their opinion, they will not be repressed and will not put in jail. So they, then they can freely express the attitude to this. So uh, it's not my obligation to answer this question, it's obligation of the Russian people, and we have to wait for this moment when we will have possibility to ask this question to them. I think that's a perfect note in which to open up to the floor. So if you do have a question, uh, please raise your hand, and we'll try and get a microphone to you, if you could just speak um, clearly as possible through it. Um, just person at the back over there. <clears throat> So obviously, um, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You've been in exile for about three years now, and so most of your work um, and your political advocacy has been done outside of Belarus. To what extent do you think that your recent, um, recently announced 15-year prison sentence from the Lukashenko regime that was announced yesterday, uh, to what extent do you think that's going to hinder your work, um, given the fact that you do all of it outside of Belarus at the moment? Or do you think that's only going to be a problem if you decide for whatever reason to try it? re-enter Belarus. Um, yes. I just oh, want to ask uh, audience, you know, I'm not studying in, in Cambridge, I'm not British, so if you ask the questions a little bit slower for me, I would be grateful. Um, it was the impact of the 15-year prison sentence oh. upon you, upon your work. Yeah. 
uh, you know, yesterday I uh, got, uh, I, I actually had a, a trial in absentia in Belarus, and uh, yesterday uh, I was sentenced to 15 years uh, in jail. Uh, it didn't influence uh, me at all. I understand that uh, this is not trial, these are not like real judges, these are puppets of uh, the regime that fulfill uh, the will of, of uh, uh, this person. There is nothing in common with justice in Belarus at the moment. So uh, I, uh, you know, for, for these two and a half years I'm under constant threat. I don't know how long the hands of the regime are. Uh, just recall the hijacking of uh, airplane, you know, uh, people are, um, uh, you know, people can be, can be uh, people, even those who are in exile, you know, they can be watched by um, spies, how, how to call it, yeah, KGB people, yeah. And so uh, we have to watch carefully who is uh, around us. But uh, this sentence will not change anything for my job. I will continue to do uh, what I have been doing for uh, this month because I'm responsible not for myself or my safety. I'm responsible, the same as other Belarusians, for those, who, uh, for those people who are in prisons, who sacrifice their freedom, some with their lives, to give us opportunity to continue uh, this fight. So, uh, uh, of course, I, I can't feel safe fully but I have to continue my uh, job so long as I can. Brilliant. Any more questions? Yes, the gentleman at the front. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I was wondering, do you consider it useful to cooperate with opposition to Putin in Russia? Because surely as long as Putin remains in the Kremlin, uh, Lukashenko can just ask... Putin for help? Uh, actually, uh, I know that there are groups, uh, Russian groups, who are opposing uh, Putin. You know, those groups uh, uh, mostly live in exile. And uh, uh, representatives of democratic movement are communicating with these groups. I know that uh, some people are visiting some Russian seminars, uh, Russian opposition seminars. You know, we can share the ways how we are fighting with the, the dictators, but we have to understand that we have a little bit different context with the Russians. You know, in Belarus, uh, we have uh, we won elections. You know, Belarusian people are united around one leader or around one goal. Uh, these free uh, and fair elections in in uh, Russia. You know, yes, uh, these groups are opposing Putin, but are they opposing the imperialistic ambitions of Russia? You know, what? How do uh, these groups see the future of uh, Russia? You know, uh, how will they treat post-Soviet Union countries? No, there are a lot of questions, uh, but of course we can share uh, our experience, we can share uh, the views, uh, you know, how, how to counter propaganda, you know, how to uh, counter to this regime, mm, but we, we are different, you know, and uh, uh, it's okay that we are, we are communicating time, time to time, but I ask our partners not to put the Russians and the Belarusians into one basket. We have 
different fight. And uh, actually in Belarus or in, in Russia, still a huge amount of population are supporting Putin. You know, yes, these groups are opposing him, but uh, I, I really can believe that the majority of population, you know, supporting the Sympathetic ambitions, uh, supporting uh, Putin in Belarus, majority of population are opposing uh, the regime. So there is that difference. Thank you. Any more? Yes, just at the front. Thanks. Um, thank you very much for coming. Um, and I wanted to... So... I'm also Belarusian. I've, um, I'm Polish Belarusian. My mom is, comes from Belarus, and through her, since my childhood, I've also been involved in uh, going to demonstrations and waving white, red, white flag. So um, I wanted to ask a question. I've called my mom before you came, so I wanted to ask a question on her behalf and mine. I hope that's fine. Um, so her question for you is looking at. Um, how Belarus has been dependent on Russia for trade and for credit, among other things, both following the Soviet Union links and also Lukashenko's uh, regime policy. Uh, how do you see opportunities for Belarus to uh, develop in the future if the regime changes? And a question I wanted to ask on my behalf, if that's okay, I also wanted to ask how do you see potential threat of um, Russia trying to integrate forcefully Belarus, given the uh, fact that a lot of Russian troops are already inside the Belarus, and either through use, some use of force or leveraging disloyalty within the Belarusian army or other parts of security apparatus, they might try at some point to overthrow the regime and install someone uh, more loyal. Uh, to or uh, directly controlled through, by Moscow. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, not if the regime changes, when uh, the regime changes. Uh, so you know, uh, for so many years, Lukashenko was the most uh, pro-Soviet Union or pro-Russian person in, in Belarus. And he uh, fulfilled this uh, his foreign policy towards Russia like this, dependence on, uh, uh, on gas, on oil, dependence on uh, economic support of Russia. Uh, you know, he got profits from this, he felt comfortable, you know, and he never uh, like was managing uh, Belarus to be uh, how it's in English, self-sufficient. You know, and I'm sure that we have wonderful geographical position. We have wonderful, hard-working, uh, disciplined people. We have natural resources in Belarus. For sure, we will be able to survive without uh, support, economic support of uh, Russia. Uh, after the collapse of Soviet Union, for example, Poland and Belarus were uh, of the same level of economic development. We were at the same level. Now look where Poland is and where Belarus is. In depths, in, uh, with low salaries, with the poor population, and, uh, and Poland is one of the most developed uh, countries in, in Europe. We had the same opportunities, you know, but uh, the, our problem was that we chose 
uh, wrong person as manager of our country who seized power, who created this, uh, uh, you know, built this vertical of power that uh, was organized only, you know, around him. He didn't give chance Belarus uh, to develop. But after uh, after changes, after elections, you know, uh, our wonderful IT specialists, they know how to attract investments into Belarus. We have wonderful uh, enterprises that with good, manage with good management will not be ubytechnia. Uh, Loss making, thank you, but will be profitable. So I'm sure that if there is a, a real like uh, a good manager will be uh, in power, we will, man we will manage to survive and become prosperous country. You know, so that's why it's, uh, uh, the problem of poverty in Belarus is not in people or dependence on Russia. It's poor management. And the second question, can you repeat please, just in shortly? Uh, of course, there is such a, a possibility. Now, uh, uh, Putin uh, uses uh, Lukashenko as collaborant, as a cheap collaborant, you know, and uh, he deployed uh, uh, his troops without any uh, uh, resistance, you know, from Lukashenko. Uh, of course, you know, now the situation is changing because uh, Russia, uh, the war in Ukraine showed that Russia is not like second biggest and powerful army in the world, uh, that it's not undefeatable. Is there such a word? Undefeatable? Yeah, and uh, uh, the world sees that, uh, you know, Russia is not so powerful as uh, they always thought about Russia. And... Uh, 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 of course, uh, you know, there will be always such threat if Russia is not stopped now. And uh, Russia maybe will not stop in Belarus. It will go further and further and further. And that's why it's task not only the Belarusian people, but all the democratic countries, all the democratic world to stop Putin now from uh, uh, even thinking about invading uh, of other countries. You know, Georgia, Armenia, Moldova, you know, there can be uh, many examples. And uh, that any attempts to invade uh, any independent countries will not be tolerated by the democratic world. So we are not, uh, you know, asking to do the job of persons instead of us, but help us to, uh, to um, put, uh, you know, to, 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 to show uh, the Russians or the Kremlin or Putin that uh, you don't have rights you know, to invade any country. It's not only Ukraine, Belarus, any. And uh, so it's high time, you know, to do like this. Brilliant. We have time for, for a few more questions. Yes, just at the front. Thank you. Well, I come from Lithuania, so I hope my country is doing a great job hosting you. If not, just let me know. I'll pass it on. Um, <laughs> um, my question for you is, if the regime is not going to change until... Lukashenko dies, is there a real plan, um, a strategy plan for a change when he dies? Or do you think that there's someone that is going to definitely try to succeed him, say his son or 
whatever else that Putin might put in his place. <clears throat> First of all, uh, using this opportunity you are from Lithuania, you know, Lithuania is doing a great job. Uh, as well as Poland, uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of Belarusians found a safe haven in these two countries, and they are really supporting uh, us politically, uh, supporting us, uh, supporting Belarusian people uh, on, on human level, and we really appreciate uh, uh, this support. So, uh, you know, Lukashenko built uh, his apparatus around his personality, his figure. And if this thing happens, what you are describing, uh, you know, uh, people will uh, immediately, you know, this vertical of power will collapse because it, it's, it's not created for somebody else. You know, uh, uh, you know th th there can be many scenarios. You know, if uh, Lukashenko dies and, uh, uh, you know, and uh, we are as democratic movement is still alive because you know I don't know the, the time uh, period of in, in your images. Uh, so uh, people in Belarus, nomenklatura and military people, they understand that there is another source of power: is democratic movement, is is a recognized leader, its structures that we are building now. So uh, just believe me. Uh, after death of Lukashenko, you know, we, people will definitely accept this, this second uh, uh, center of power because we created coalition of we managed to create coalition of countries who are supporting us. You know, uh, there is uh, uh, a clear future uh, of Belarus with the uh, democratic forces. So uh, uh, mostly people in nomenclatura and even in military circles, they are uh, ordinary technocrats who can easily switch the activity, uh, you know, uh, they can work with, uh, with democracy as well. But also they can be, uh, well, it also depends what's going on in Russia. They can send, uh, I don't know, Russian uh, representative, you know, just to replace Lukashenko, but uh, it will not change anything for Belarusian people. Belarusian people don't want uh, a person who is designated by Kremlin. They want to choose a person who will represent uh, who will be the president of uh, Belarus? So it will in any uh, with, in any scenario when uh, without free and fair elections the situation in Belarus will be destabilized, and uh, it will not bring to like uh, consistent changes or sufficient changes. How to say uh, in Belarus? So the only way out of uh, the situation is free and fair elections. Brent. There's, unfortunately, we're pretty much running out of time. Um, there is one question I ask all the speakers that come here, and is there a book that you would recommend to the audience, or a movie? Uh, look, I have uh, favorite movies. Uh, maybe they uh, are not about politics because actually uh, uh, since I stepped into politics I didn't have time to read books about politics or watch movies about politics. I'm studying uh, uh, in practice, you know, I... <laughs> uh, so maybe I just, uh, I just uh, uh, tell you about a couple of my favorite uh, films. It will be uh, advice from me. So I... Um, uh, like the film uh, One Plus One, 
or I don't know how it's called in in uh, in English, un, un, uh, untouchable. C can you Google it for me, please? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I like uh, uh, Schindler's List. Uh, I like uh, the lives of others. Uh, maybe somebody watched. So uh, I like. Uh, I also. Uh, I'm not sure how it sounds in English. Uh, Escape from Shawshank. Mm -hmm. Escape from from from. Yeah. In Intouchables. In yeah, Intouchables. So yeah. Brilliant. That's Maybe. everyone's evenings now sorted. <laughs> um, well, can everyone join me one more time and thank Svetlana for coming and thank you so much.